0: Join me now in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we're in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And for the last two weeks, we've talked about murder and anger. We even talked about angry insults. And so as we think about that, as we think about anger, perhaps there's no more powerful force in our sinful nature than anger. Unless it is, of course, lust. And so we're going to take on the topic of lust today because our Savior brings it up. Now, a disclaimer, I understand the nature of this topic, and I'm going to have to speak plainly to it, but my goal is this for me to be a PG message. Rated PG, that's what I'm aiming for. And so I'm aware of the younger eyes, the younger ears listening to this message there at home. I think this is a great opportunity though for parents after this message to engage in an age-appropriate way with your children. So don't be fearful of this topic. You make your own decisions about who needs to hear this in your household today. But don't be afraid of the conversations that could come after this. In fact, Pastor Dustin has some resources for you related to this, how to have these types of conversations in an ongoing way, with your children. So here we go. Here's an important declaration, even as we get started. And here it is. God is the author of sex. That God is the one who created us male and female. That our bodies are good. It is our God who designed our reproductive systems. It's God who designed sex as a is an expression of intimacy within marriage, and yes, for having children, and there's nothing wrong with this gift that God has given us. Everything depends on how the gift is used, and so this gift of God, as we talk about our bodies, as we talk about sexuality, it's not dirty, it's not shameful, this is not somehow unspiritual that your body, your sexuality is to be valued and used and guarded as God designed. So as believers, we would say this, we have a high view of sex. We don't have a low view of sex. We do not believe that we're just talking about mere biology here. This is far more than just hormones and brain chemistry. God's word is clear. This kind of physical intimacy is only to be shared between a husband and wife in their marriage and with nobody else. Now you and I know this, our culture is very confused on this very topic of our sexuality. Our culture's view of sex is this, that there are an unlimited number of genders and sexual orientations and all expressions are to be celebrated. Our culture teaches that it's unnatural and even harmful to resist any drive that you have, any sexual impulse, it would be unnatural, harmful to say no to that. Basically, our culture says, if you feel it, celebrate it and go for it. Essentially, we've made our appetites our gods. And whatever my appetite is, I'm just supposed to follow that blindly. But listen, though we live in a very sex-obsessed culture, God's good standards have not changed. And here Jesus is going to remind us about this. This is Matthew 5. Let's take on verse 27 and following. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, remember our context here, keying in on chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus is making the point, if you want to go to heaven then you must have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So righteousness is what we need and righteousness on our own is what we lack, but we can't settle for merely an external only type of rule keeping righteousness. So here Jesus brings up to us, after just telling us we shouldn't commit murder and not even have anger for others. Here he says, first of all, that we are to avoid the evil of adultery. Avoid the evil of adultery. So Jesus transitions from the sixth commandment, don't commit murder, to taking on now the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. So what is prohibited in this command? What is adultery? Here's a definition of adultery. To have a sexual relationship between a man and woman when one or both of them are married to somebody else. Or this, sex with someone other than your spouse. And the Bible speaks against adultery throughout. So in the book of Proverbs, we're warned repeatedly against getting into any kind of adulterous relationship. You can look this afternoon at Proverbs chapter 6 or Proverbs chapter 7. Extensive warnings like watch out for the adulterous. This is not going to lead anywhere good. It's going to lead to your death. By the way, did you know that under the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was a penalty when a person was caught in adultery? And it was the death penalty. This is how seriously God takes this particular sin. Our culture calls it an affair. Our culture calls it a fling. And God says, this makes you worthy of death. It makes you worthy of condemnation. So it is a grave sin. It's a terrible betrayal of a sacred covenant that you made with your spouse before God himself and the witnesses who gathered on your wedding day. So listen to how God described this sin through the prophet Malachi. This is Malachi 2, verses 13 through 15. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Here's the answer. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, because, against whom... You have dealt treacherously, though she, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He goes on to say this. Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. So the context there in Malachi is the people are saying, God, why aren't you happy with us? Why aren't you accepting our worship? And God says, you're dealing with your wife with treachery. You're defrauding her. You are cheating her on her. And here's another reminder, how we relate to others has a bearing on our worship. We've seen that multiple times lately. So let's pause here and let's thank God that God is against adultery. When God says, I don't want you murdering, he's a good God. And when God says, I don't want you committing adultery, he is a good God. This this is great to know about God. He is against betrayal. Aren't you glad? God's against unfaithfulness. God's against the heartbreak that always comes because of adultery. So when a person gets involved in adultery, they're taking something that belongs to another, or they're giving away something that belongs to another. So let's reaffirm together the no-brainer that adultery is sin and have, should have no place in our lives. You and I should preserve our marriages by being completely loyal to our spouses. Now, we're going to belabor this a second because you will meet Christians who will fight against this clear teaching, especially when they've gone down that road and they're now entangled emotionally, maybe even physically with somebody other than their spouse. They'll argue with you about this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Now, I want you to just take a look at the text here. Look at verse 27. Is there any other way to interpret verse 27? which also is an echo of Exodus 20. It's very clear. There's no fancy footwork you can do with the Greek or with the Hebrew. This means you should not commit adultery. But somebody who's now ensnared in adultery, they'll argue with you. They'll say, well, 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 God wants me happy. And I wasn't happy in my marriage. I'm finding happiness here. Wouldn't God want me happy? And, and no, look, look at the word of God. There's never going to be a reason where God says, oh, I get it. You get to be the exception from this command that I've had in my word from, from the very, very beginning. So listen, remember your vows if you're married. And let me ask this question. What are you doing to protect your marriage by protecting yourself from this temptation? What are you doing in your marriage to protect your spouse from temptation in this area? According to Willard Harley, who wrote the book, His Needs, Her Needs, subtitle How to Affair Proof Your Marriage, Harley says, most affairs start by just being friends. Listen to how he describes it. When an affair starts, it usually begins as a friendship. You share problems with the other person, and that person shares problems with you. Usually for the affair to blossom, you have to see this person quite often. Every day at work or frequently through a friendship, being on a committee or board or some other responsibility that brings you together. As your, friendship de- as your friendship deepens, you start giving each other mutual support and encouragement, especially in regard to your unmet needs. Life is difficult and many people become extremely disillusioned about their lives. And when they find someone encouraging and supportive, the attraction toward that person acts as a powerful magnet. Harley goes on to say this, sooner or later you find yourself being intimate with your supportive and encouraging friend. It just seems to happen. You don't intend it and neither does your friend. He goes on this way, as the intensity of your mutual care and passion increases, you discover yourself caught in a trap of your own making. You lose all sense of judgment as you literally become addicted to each other in a relationship built upon fantasy and not reality. Harley says there's a common pattern that leads to adultery. Yeah, there are some out there on the prowl to break their vows. They're they're doing that. But so often, it's people not looking to become involved in an adulterous relationship, but just being careless with the opposite sex, just divulging too much of their heart to somebody else, and it begins to develop into this type of relationship. So we must protect our marriages by protecting Our own hearts. So here's some practical words here. First of all, guard your steps with the opposite sex. If this is indeed a common pattern that leads to adultery, then then guard your steps. Do not give your heart away to perhaps somebody at work where you tell them about your problems and things you're not happy about at home. You have no business talking about that with somebody else at work, especially somebody of the opposite sex. And then close the door on any kind of relationship you have like that. In fact, if there's somebody where you work or someplace else in your life who begins to share their heart with you, there's somebody of the opposite sex, and they're telling you about their sadness at home and how unhappy they are with their spouse, you need to halt that right there. Say, no, here's a move you can make. Here, here's my pastor's card. He would be happy to talk with you. I'm not really into counseling. You can even say, I don't do counsel with people of the opposite sex. My pastor said he'd be happy to talk to anybody about that. Or we have our wonderful counseling ministry and you, you can let them know about that. You can be compassionate, but, but get away from that. Don't get involved in a conversation where you are the supportive listening ear to somebody of the opposite sex as they share their problems. That is a recipe for disaster. So play a good defense as you guard yourself from adultery. This thing that we're commanded never to be a part of. But listen, also play good offense with your marriage, be proactive and care for your spouse. So remember your vows for better, or for worse, you're committed to bless and love your spouse. Remember your vows. And how about this, keep dating your spouse. We've talked about defense, we're talking about offense. Don't leave each other vulnerable to temptation in this area, love each other so well that when temptation comes, it's not so tempting. Because you're taking care of your marriage. I would strongly recommend that the, that the married couples in our church read the book, His Needs, Her Needs, by Willard Harley. In fact, I found that, that on Right Now Media, that, that media resource that we make available to all of our members, uh, he has his course on the Willard Harley has his course, His Needs, Her Needs, on there. It's six sessions, only about 20 minutes per session. You can sit together in one evening as a husband and wife and just walk through these very helpful principles to guard and bless and invest in your marriage. And so we've just taken on here the first part of this, that we are to avoid the evil of adultery, no exceptions. But then Jesus goes further as he does. We're to avoid a heart of adultery. Not just avoiding the act of adultery, we're to avoid a heart of adultery of adultery, namely lust. Look at the scripture again, verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is telling us once again that true spirituality, true righteousness is at the heart level. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees who are just technically keeping the law, well, I've never actually committed adultery, so whatever I do in my mind, whatever's going around in my heart, that's just fine, I'm still righteous. Jesus says, no, you're not righteous. You have to have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees if you want to be in heaven. You need a righteousness that Christ can give you. Now, though Jesus directs this statement toward men, we know that this applies to both men and women. So what is lust then? Lust is a look with desire to have an intimate physical relationship with someone other than your spouse. So we're not talking about here that you notice that somebody looks pretty or handsome. That is not lust. Now be careful there, that can quickly jump to lust, but just to notice that somebody is pretty or handsome, that itself is not lust. Also, we're not talking about desire for your spouse. Desire for your spouse, that is a very good thing. If you doubt that, you need to reread the book of Proverbs and the book of Song of Solomon. That desire is good in your marriage. But what is to be avoided is having this type of desire, this longing for somebody who is not your spouse. Really, it takes us to the 10th commandment. We've considered the sixth, don't murder, seventh, don't commit adultery. But the 10th commandment is here. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. How about this? You shall not covet your neighbor's Wife. So here, sadly, even as believers in Jesus Christ, we are susceptible to temptation. And just like we've talked about anger, all of us can say, I have to be on guard against anger. We've considered that the last two weeks. But we come to this one and we say, even though I've been born again, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have to be on guard against lust. We'd like to say, this is only something I battled before I came to Christ, but every Christian I've ever known has has said, I need to be on guard in this area. This is a powerful temptation toward lust. So when a thought or feeling or attraction arises in you for somebody other than the one you are married to, you need to rebuke that and forsake that immediately Now we know this, thoughts can come into our minds, but here's the question, what do you do when those thoughts come into your mind? Or an attractive person walks by, where does your mind go? Or a person of the opposite sex speaks very sweetly and warmly to you, what what do you do with that? Or images flash before your eyes on television or on a computer screen, what do you do about those images coming at you? And so let's just spend a few moments there on these images. It'd be difficult to talk about lust in our culture and not spend some time talking about the danger of pornography. Avoiding sensual images and videos has never been more challenging than in our day. Pornography is pervasive. It is certainly now moving more and more into the mainstream, but I want you to hear again the words of Jesus, no matter what our culture says. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember Jesus's words. We're not just avoiding the act of unfaithfulness, but we can't have an unfaithful mind. We can't have unfaithful eyes. We can't have things going on in our hearts that are unfaithful. And Back to this topic of pornography, understand it is highly addictive. According to Focus on the Family, they say this, you don't have to shoot up any drug with a needle to get addicted to porn. Your body will make its own drugs just by looking at the pictures. Dr. Victor Klein says that sex and pornography can be a more difficult addiction to break than cocaine. So don't think, well, I can manage it. I can consume this and it won't really bother me. I can keep this contained in a small area of life. That's never been true for anybody. Understand that everything about pornography is sinful. The production of it is sinful, and the viewing of it is sinful. It's an offense to God, and it degrades this beautiful gift that God has given to us. This destroys the lives of those who make it, and it destroys the lives of those who consume it. This this will destroy your marriage. In fact, it's interesting, it'll even destroy the people who make it. The other day, I was driving around running errands on a Saturday morning, listening to WRVA. And there was a Christian program on Saturday morning. I didn't realize it was there. And they, they are telling a testimony of somebody who came to Christ. It just so happens, as I first hear this program, it's a woman who came to Christ out of the adult film industry, if you can call it that. And as she told her story of how she came to Jesus, it was very interesting. She talked about how, even though she was one who produced this type of material that damaged so many others, she still, while she was producing it, was jealous of her boyfriend who would look at other women. Even she wanted a man who would be loyal to her, eyes only for her. It wounded her. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I not good enough for you that you have to look at others? And yet she was a part of that industry pumping out that. Oh, I praise God for his grace that even a person who's producing that has forsaken that and come to Jesus, been cleansed of her sins and made new, now a sister in Christ. But understand, pornography distorts and it destroys. It's a fearful thing to think about that all the men who've been raised up on pornography out in the world, having no idea what a real woman is like, what a real woman wants. Think about these poor brides having to reprogram their husbands who've been raised up with all these wrong ideas and fantasies in their heads and, and realizing that, oh, a real woman is like, is nothing like what I was told in pornography. Steve Waters also on the Focus on the Family website said this, pornography promises something like intimacy and then cheats you of real intimacy twice. First, it pushes a wedge between you and God, the only one who can know and love you completely. And secondly, it gets you so focused on your own desires that you're unable to know and love anyone else in an intimate relationship. So let's just say it clearly. Pornography, lust should have no place in the heart of a believer. We have to fight against this, against all us any inappropriate images, any inappropriate entertainment, anything that we've been thinking on in our heads, any books that we're reading, we have to take it seriously. And maybe at this point you're listening and you're saying, I think you're taking it too seriously. I don't think so because look what Jesus says next. How seriously should we take this topic? Verse 29, Jesus, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, And throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, we know our world, and our world says, What's the big deal? This is just biology. Listen, you get hungry, you eat, you get thirsty, you drink. We're just like animals here. You don't have to restrain yourself, but notice here, Jesus brings up hell twice here. There's a lot on the line with this. This makes us unrighteous when we're in sexual sin, even when it stays in our hearts and our minds. So Jesus then, when you trust in him, he brings you righteousness, he declares you righteous, but he also calls you to radical repentance in this and every other area of your life. Now, Jesus is using extreme language to make this memorable. And isn't it memorable the way Jesus describes this? But he's calling for a complete repentance of lust in our lives. Years ago, I read about a hiker who, out hiking by himself, got his arm trapped under some kind of large rock. And he could not get his arm free. Five days he tried to get his arm free, and he was stuck, and help was not coming for him. His name was Aaron Ralston. There he decided, if I'm going to survive, I'm going to have to take my pocket knife and actually cut off my arm to get free from this rock. Better to go ahead and lose my arm, but save my life. And that's what he did. Can you imagine? I mean, that's pretty extreme. He took off his arm. He created a tourniquet. He actually then had to rappel down a ravine to be able to get out of where he was trapped. He took his survival seriously. So here's Jesus. He's using hyperbole. Just to be clear, he doesn't literally want you to take out your eye. Please don't apply the message that way this afternoon. He does not literally want you to cut off your hand. It's not what he's saying. He's using strong language to say, you must take this seriously. You must repent and forsake it. You must be radical against this sin in your life. So from lust to all the way to physical adultery or anywhere in between, we must repent of this. And we see this echo throughout the scriptures. How about Colossians chapter 3 verse 5? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We're to put these things to death and daily put these things to death as this battle comes daily, daily for us. Or Romans eight thirteen: For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So this is a radical heart level repentance that Jesus calls for. It really is like when a person has cancer, the surgeon has his goal. I need to get every cell of the cancer out of your body. We're not going to get part of it. We have to get all of it or it'll replicate in your body and continue to spread. This is how we're to be with this area of lust, these temptations that we face. I have to be really careful. I have to fight it. So now, as we just talk about applying this to ourselves, let's walk through several different arenas of life and let's apply this to ourselves. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to make extra application in areas of your life maybe that we don't address here. First of all, watch out, watch out for what you watch. Watch out for what you watch. And we've talked a lot already today about, about pornography, but, but don't be technical here. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm watching this, but this isn't technically pornography, so it's okay. It's on Netflix so it can't really be pornography or it's, it's Prime Video or it's, it's on a premium channel. This isn't, this isn't technically pornography. Listen, that's, that's being like a Pharisee. Is what you're watching or what you're reading, is it stirring up lust in your heart? Is it creating and fanning a flame of desire in you that you can't legitimately fulfill? Then you wanna turn away from that. So be careful, watch what you watch. How about this? Watch out for who you watch. What I mean by that is this, Learn to look away from immodesty. Learn to look away from immodesty. One of the first verses I memorized as a young Christian was Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Job said that. And so I thought, if that's good enough for Job, centuries, millennia before me, I will memorize that one as well. We can't do it. So very practical. What does this look like? So for example, driving down the road, if I'm driving and I notice there's a, a woman jogging and maybe she's jogging in a sports bar or something, which I think is immodest. And I know I'd, I cannot look at her, I should not. Now I have to keep my eyes on the road. I'm aware that she's there. But here's what I've trained myself to do through the help of God, to look away and pray. And what I've done is this. I look away, keep my eyes on the road. I'm aware she's there, not wearing enough clothing. And I'll pray for her, but not her. I'll pray for any male in her life. I'll pray for her husband. I'll pray for her brother. I'll pray for her father. I'll pray for her children. I'll just pray for some male in her life until she's out of you and out of my mind. I love what John Piper says. John Piper says, you got five seconds to deal with images that come into your mind, whether live like that or some thought that comes back in your head, five seconds. In fact, when I was reading that from Piper, I thought that's too long, John Piper. It needs to be a split second, but he means the same thing. He just means right off there in the first seconds, you're looking away. But in those first seconds, he, what he does in his mind, he takes his mind to the cross where Jesus died. And what he does in his mind, he begins to play through what Jesus' death would have been like on the cross in, in motion in his mind. Jesus writhing in pain, Jesus trying to get his breath, dying for our sins. What, what a thing. He, so in other words, I, I see that image, but I'm going to replace that image with the cross of Christ, with my Savior dying for me. I'm going to replace it within, within moments. So, so learn to look away from immodesty. Let let me speak to our ladies, too. And I, I get it. I'm a total, totally agree. It's up to the guy to guard his eyes. It's his responsibility. And we could leave it there. But I would say to our ladies, we should want to be modest. Understand your body is not your own. Your body belongs to the Lord. And it's not to be revealed to everybody. And if you're married, your body belongs to your husband. If you hope to be married one day, if that's God's will for you, then your body belongs to your future husband and to the Lord. And so it shouldn't be shown to everybody. There should be modesty here. So learn to look away from immodesty. How about this? So we talked about what you watch, who you watch, but how about practically? We just talked about being radical here, how you date, how you date, dating and physical contact. There are those who think anything goes up to actual intercourse but that's not biblical. You see what Jesus said? Even if you lust after somebody, you've already committed the sin in your heart. Some people think, let's see how far we can go to get up to there, but you're sinning all the way up to that point. Even if you keep yourself from the ultimate physical contact, you've already been sinning against each other and in your own heart sinning all the way up to that point. And so you think, "Well, well, we're Christians. Hey, be careful. Do not trust yourself in this area. Here's my best advice here. If you're dating, never be completely alone with each other. That means date at the park, date at Panera, date at McDonald's, go to a movie, maybe go on a walk, but never be alone in each other's house. That seems a bit radical, doesn't it? In fact, this is funny. Uh, sometimes watching the Andrew Griffith show, we watch that a lot in our house. Those reruns are kind of rolling in the background. And when I, see, when I see Barney going to Thelma Lou's house without somebody else there, I think that's just crazy. This is Barney and Thelma Lou, if you know the show. They, they shouldn't do that, but I know that's fiction. Or well, Helen and Andy are hanging out at Helen's house. Like, you, you, you can't do that so unwise. No matter how wholesome you are, no matter who you are, that's unwise. Years ago serving on a leadership team for work work in South Asia. Our regional leader was warning our single missionaries and and the married ones. Hey, be careful. Never go into the home of one of your colleagues alone, a person of the opposite sex, unless somebody else is there. One of our journeyman men, one of our young men, he was offended by that. He said, you're treating us like we're 16. Our regional leader was wise. He said, Hey, when it comes to this topic, we're all 16. I thought that was wise. We don't want to think, I'm so strong, I would never fall in this area. Don't put yourself in a situation like, especially if you're dating. And then this, what if, what if you have failed in this area? And I would say everybody, all of us have failed in this area. To varying degrees, we've all failed in this area of lust at times. And some in our congregation, all the way through physical adultery, none of us feeling more righteous than the other. But what do we do if we say, I failed here? This word, Proclaims my guilt. What do I do about this? Listen, find freedom and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. This is good news. Listen, you you recognize your sin in this area. Maybe your sin from some time back. Maybe your sin from last night. What do you do? You run to God for forgiveness. Don't run from God. Run to him. Run to him humbly. Ask for his forgiveness. Listen, here's how we know he'll forgive you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, hang on for verse 11, listen to this. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 6, nine, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. You can be cleansed, sanctified, made right with God if you'll run to Jesus with your sin. Confess it. Please, Lord, forgive me for my sin in my lust or my immorality. He is a God who can cleanse you if you run to him. Be cleansed and be like what Jesus said to the, the woman caught in adultery, John 8, he forgave her. He, didn't forgive her, he did not condemn her in her sin, but he said, go and sin no more. Oh, do the same. Another thing you should do, if you recognize this is an area of struggle for you, invite accountability into your life that you might win in this area of life. Let me just speak to you as a way of accountability to you as a church, as your pastor. Let me just let you know the accountability that I've placed in my life for years now First of all, Joy is my primary accountability partner in my life, and I think in particular about my devices. Of course, Joy and I live open lives to each other. We're aware of what we're doing at all the time, and, but my devices sit there in the house, on the kitchen counter, on the couch, and, and anybody in the family can come and go on my devices, and so that's good. In fact, let me let you know this. Joy has the parental controls on my devices. That was my idea years ago. Hey, Joy, I want to block access to things that are bad, and I want you to have the parental controls. And so I don't know the code Joy has for that. Just just want to be careful. Don't want to act like I'm beyond being tempted in these areas myself. In a weak moment could happen. So I don't want to have access to that. Joy being my accountability partner, even with the parental controls on my devices. Another area of accountability for me in this area of life is my daughters. And I'm thinking about this. Sometimes we're watching TV together as a family, and you know you can't control the commercials. Sometimes something very lurid will will pop up in the commercial. Maybe they're advertising some other show coming up, and you think, I don't want to see that. And so as I mentioned earlier, training myself to look away from something inappropriate. But here's what's been, I think, wonderful through the years. When I'm looking away from that inappropriate image, I find a daughter looking at my eyes. That's good accountability. Accountability. I think my daughter's looking away, too, because she doesn't want to see something inappropriate in the commercial. But what accountability for me is I'm looking away. I'm looking eyeball to eyeball with one of my daughters that I love dearly. I'm glad they're seeing that what it looks like to turn away from evil. But how about even in this, in, in, the, in the realm of counseling? I'm a, I'm a pastor of men and women, and I love the men and women of the church. And I'll meet with anybody, but, but with great care when it comes to the opposite sex. When I meet for counseling with a woman, it's gonna be in my office during work hours when other colleagues are on the hall with a window in my door. We're gonna be careful there to avoid any appearance of something wrong. And even then, not gonna have an ongoing, long-term counseling relationship with a woman. I'm gonna be quick to refer if this needs to be more than a couple, of a, se- a couple of sessions, we're gonna refer to a godly woman in the church. And I'm so grateful for our counseling ministry. A woman like Cindy Strange, we can, we can make a handoff, which is good for the woman and, and good for everything. I think that's good. Listen, other, other accountability you can put in your life, and we'll do this quickly as we close. Listen, invite a friend to be an accountability partner for you. Maybe you're not married. You say, this is a huge struggle. Listen, ask a friend to help you here. Maybe they'll have the parental controls on your devices. If that's where you've been stumbling and falling, Uh, Have a friend do that. Have them lock down Netflix to only a certain level of programming or have them lock down something else. Get radical with this. You can even use tools like Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is even beyond internet filter for your phone and tablet and, and your laptop but it'll actually send a report to the person you choose about your internet activity. That takes away that idea that I'm doing this stuff online alone and nobody's gonna know. No, you're asking a friend to know what you're doing online. And if anything inappropriate happens, a report goes to your friend and they'll get that every morning. How about this one? I know a guy who was so disturbed at how much he was failing on his smartphone because you can take it anywhere and hide anywhere and see anything at any time. He thought, I can't handle it. I tried and I failed. I tried and I failed. I can't handle this smartphone. And so I think this is radical in our culture. Ditched the smartphone, went back to a flip phone because he took to heart the words of Jesus here. So no, you're not plucking out your literal eye or cutting off your hand, but you are taking seriously. I cannot have the sin in my life. I need to fight it. I need the forgiveness of Jesus and he offers it. And I need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in an entirely different way. Let's pray together.